0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is Monday, March 28th, 2022. And as we do each week, let's just begin with a brief moment of silence to link up with all Triangles members throughout the world, followed by a sounding of the noontime recollection. We know, O Lord of life and love, about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love that we too may love and
1: give. Our work together
0: each week is twofold to introduce triangles this planetary service to people who are new to it and to aid them in the forming of triangles and also to provide a platform for those people who are already members of triangles to come together each week and participate in a meditative visualization in the support and strengthening of this planetary network it's a rhythmic service which we provide Triangles is a simple visualization technique using the power of thought and prayer to uplift and transform consciousness. The work involves establishing a line of lighted, loving communication between yourself and two other people and agree to do so every day. Three people come together as a triangle of light, mentally, spiritually, and in a spirit of goodwill to all humanity. This triangle is then placed within the larger framework of the network as a whole. And as that network is visualized, the great invocation of a very powerful world prayer is sounded as a perfect vehicle to release and circulate spiritual energies throughout the entire etheric network releasing them into the consciousness of all who have open hearts and minds and who can respond to spiritual stimulation when it's released into the atmosphere. This work need only take a few minutes each day, and it can therefore be fit into even the busiest of schedules. So we encourage you to reach out to others either on this webinar, on our Triangles Meditation Group Facebook page, on our website, triangles.org to form triangles, because to the extent that we form more triangles in our planet, to that extent, can the plan for the planet work out? And today um, we have, after our meditation, we will have a presentation by one of our co-workers who you've heard a number of times before, Eduardo Grimalia from argentina and he has a degree in classical philology from the national university and he's a translator of many ancient greek texts um, that have been edited by benjamin dykes and eduardo is presently working within a research group on ancient religion and myth and he also teaches sanskrit at the and literature at the National University, and he's also a principal pianist and harpsichordist of the Municipal Chamber Orchestra in Cordoba. So we very much look forward to hearing Eduardo share on the wisdom of the Bhagavad Gita. So let's now, as we do each week, begin with a brief visualization. Let's visualize the planet as
1: a sphere of lighted energy.
0: And within that sphere, visualize a triangle composed of the three planetary centers, the planetary head center, Shambhala,
1: the planetary heart
0: center, the spiritual hierarchy, and the planetary throat center, humanity.
1: Visualize the energies moving in both directions around the triangle, filling it with light
0: and superimpose upon that triangle a five-pointed star, the star of the world teacher,
1: who blends east and west, past and future, radiating the energy of love, wisdom, At each point of the star, visualize a sphere representing the five planetary centers.
0: And visualize the energies radiating forth through these points in the planetary star, London,
1: Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo. As we sound the mantra and project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy.
0: Radiance, we are in power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour As you all know, one of the fundamental tenets of the spiritual philosophies of the world is as above, so below. And of course, this is a central premise underlying the work we do in triangles each day and each week. The triangles that we create as a worldwide network are reflections and distribution agents for subjective triangles that are part of the great chain of hierarchical life. The Tibetanists said that the teaching on triangles is the most important aspect underlying the whole science of esoteric astrology and really the entire ancient wisdom teachings. For triangles are relaying stations through which potent energies cosmic, systemic, planetary, group, and individual are synthesized, strengthened, and stepped down. Therefore, when we look up into the vastness of the starry heavens, it's helpful to understand that within the seeming randomness and vastness of it all, there does exist an underlying cosmic order. And in the mirroring of all things great, in all things small, so too is that order implicit in our solar system, in our planet, in the ashrams, in groups, and within ourselves, creating the symphony of life that is moving in concert with a great plan. And an integral part of that order and an activity that contributes to moving that order into greater resonance with the soul is of course the work we do in triangles and today as a result of the potency of our great telescopes we can hone in upon these myriad of tiny dots in the heavens and the order is being revealed we see great majestic shapes and colors which we're told are the embodiment of vast lives and since all conditions that transpire in our outer world find their reflection in our own lives and in our own consciousness, we're charged to expand that consciousness to see more, to see more deeply and more clearly into the soul which is being reflected above us in these majestic photographs. Therefore, we have to learn to construct our inner telescopes, stretching out to make those bridges within consciousness that will enable us to see that which had hitherto been veiled to us. Triangles is a technique that resonates strongly with our entry into this seventh-ray age, wherein the highest and the lowest can merge and blend, bringing spirit into matter, releasing that which is above into that which is below. The Tibetan asks us to visualize these cosmic triangles as in rapid movement, revolving eternally in space and ceaselessly moving onward as of fourth and fifth dimensional extension. These triangles, therefore, can only be imagined through the medium of the inner eye of vision, through the use of the creative imagination and the power of visualization. And the Tibetan gave us two such triangles which are of great importance and I wanted to highlight them now because we're moving, we are in the sign of Aries and he relates them both specifically to that sign, this powerful sign of the first ray energy. And he relates it particularly to this further star from Polaris, which is called Marak. And the closer star is called Dupe. And those two form a triangle with Polaris. And the Tibetan tells us that this is a great, these three stars are a great symbol in the heavens of alignment. And you can see that alignment reflected powerfully this image but it of course is a triangular alignment and he relates it to the triangle that disciples are building within consciousness with polaris standing as the second ray point the soul aspect marak representative of the higher will you might say the bridge to the abstract mind within the disciple who built who's building the onto bridge and jubay representative of the lower concrete mind and so this symbol is being this triangle triangular symbol is being stimulated now through aries deep relationship with murak so we can all perhaps as above so below use that to work at our own inner alignment to perfect as much as we can our ability to become bridge builders within consciousness so that we can work more effectively in our lives. And one more triangle, that's really two triangles, is this is the one that he says to visualize as a three fourth dimensional triangular shapes pouring into our planet, particularly, you can see, related to, again, to the sign of Aries and to this one pointer, marak. So at the same time that that other triangle is being stimulated this month, so too is this one. And the Tibetan tells us that this triangle is particularly related to our logos, the great sun at Kumara, the great life that informs our planet. So this period when the sun is in Aries is stimulating, surely stimulating that great life with a great influx of powerful first ray energies from Aries. And our planet is then distributing that energy to both Pluto and Vulcan, the other two first ray planets. All three of these planets have a powerful first ray energy. So our Logos is taking in this energy and using it, Tibetan says, as the will to unify. And unification is certainly An important uh, quality needed to be developed by our humanity. And so hopefully we can call in our way, because he says it also stimulates those conditions which are aiding the hierarchy and humanity to prepare the way for the coming externalization of the hierarchy. So this synthesizing unifying energy that this, these great triangles are releasing in our world can be appropriated to the extent that we work together during this higher interlude period with these powerful energies. So why don't we now work together in our
1: meditation. integrating ourselves upon the mental plane, focusing as a group, standing within the center of the event darn cross of discipleship, linking as souls, as points of love and light with all people throughout the world who are working with this triangle's meditation group. We project
0: a line of lighted energy towards the highest center of Shambhala and sound together the affirmation of the will. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Nought shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve
1: my fellow men.
0: Visualization. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a
1: triangle of light.
0: Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an integral part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangle's network. and lift the consciousness to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and at the heart of each
1: triangle. Precipitation,
0: visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness, establishing right human relationships.
1: As we sound this mantra of unification, project a rainbow bridge towards the spiritual hierarchy. The sons
0: of men are one and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal
1: Sound the great invocation,
0: silently or aloud. And as you repeat each stanza, visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, as a channel through which light and love and divine purpose may flow into human
1: consciousness.
0: Thank you everyone. Michael, could you make Eduardo co host uh, seems to have dropped off the list. I'd like to welcome Eduardo.
2: Hi, Eduardo. Hi, Kathy. How are you? Can you hear me? Yes,
0: yes. Yes. Um, So I'll let you share your screen.
2: Okay, I'll share my screen. Okay. okay, and hello everyone. I will share the screen.
1: and
2: There we are. Okay, today we will speak about the spiritual meaning of the Bhagavad Gita. So the wisdom of the Bhagavad Gita. Young officers arriving for the first time at their new home among the rice fields of India during the British occupation or in the heat and dust of a desert cantonment would commonly be told by some well-meaning old India hand that if they wished to grasp the essence of the Eastern tradition, they should read one book. The Mahabharata, by far the world's oldest and largest epic poem, and with 100,000 verses exceeding the Bible and all Shakespeare's plays bundled together. The Mahabharata is called the fifth Veda, Panjamo Veda, And as a jewel within the heart lies the Bhagavad Gita in itself, a chapter of this epic poem. Mahabharata means something like the great India or the great humanity, because because humanity understood as the fifth race is said to descend from original India. According to to tradition, the composer is Vyasa, himself a character in the epic, he dictated the verses and the god Ganesha wrote them down. Among the 100,000 verses of Mahabharata, over 800 verses are considered to be the author's secret message. Vyasa Rahasya. Vyasa used to recite such verses, just gaining time to compose the next ones. It was agreed that Vyasa should dictate the stances continuously and without pause, or the god would stop taking dictation. How about the story? The story revolves around two sets of cousins, the Pandava, the five sons of the King Pandu, and the Kaurava the sons of Pandu's brother, the blind kinder The two branches of the family would become bitter rivals and oppose each other in a war for the land. The Kaurava had a grotesque demonic birth while the Pandava were actually fathered by gods and are assisted throughout the story by divinities and seers, including the very author of the poem, Vyasa, himself a character in the story. Each of the five Pandava of the five brothers stands for a quality. We have Yudhishthira, who was born of righteousness and knowledge. He is the son of Dharma, Dharma. Bhima, the son of the God of the wind, is the strongest in the world. Arjuna, a main character in the Bhagavad Gita, son of the god Indra, is the perfect warrior. The next two are twins, Nakula and Sahadeva, the higher and lower mind, knowledge and wisdom, the polar opposites. Of the five brothers, Arjuna is the commander-in-chief of the Pandava army and Krishna is his charioteer. Krishna, an incarnation of the god Vishnu, The Christ or love aspect of God is the symbol of the divine soul who imparts life-given wisdom to the human or incarnated soul, the disciple Arjuna. The symbol of the charioteer is one that occurs in the Upanishads and also in the dialogues of Plato. The Mahabharata is so full of meaning there's always an inner significance to be found behind all the events. Symbolism is like beauty, either you see it or you do not, but it is there. So the tension between both groups of cousins escalates and end up in a monumental confrontation. The rival hosts faced each other, the field of Kurukshetra, And it is at this point that the Bhagavad Gita commences. Suddenly, Arjuna loses confidence in everything he's about to do. As soon as he was about to sound the horn to launch the battle, he falls down at Krishna's feet and says, I cannot fight. Krishna, my legs grow weak, my mouth is dry. My body trembles, my bow slips from my hands, uncles, cousins, nephews, my own teacher, they're all there. I can't bring that to my own family. It is then that Krishna turns to face him, whispering to him a teaching that becomes the Bhagavad Gita, the the song of the Lord Krishna. It is well not impossible to capture the very essence of this jewel of the deepest philosophical thought in a few words. And I wonder if you realize how unusual this situation is, never seen in literature before. While tension builds up between two armies, Krishna in the middle of the battlefield gives Arjuna the most sacred, teachings and secrets. So Krishna, seeing that Arjuna refused to take his weapons and fight, then tells him that victory and the feet are the same. He urges him to act, but not to reflect on the fruit of the action. If you're a warrior, a kshatriya, you must do your duty, your dharma, namely to fight, even if it means killing others. He says, Seek detachment and fight without desire. Arjuna, as anyone would be, is completely confused. You tell me to seek detachment and yet you urge me to slaughter. Your words are ambiguous. So Krishna replies, do not withdraw, you must act, but action must not dominate you. So at this point, Arjuna looked perplexed. How could one put all that into practice when the mind is so unstable, evasive, turbulent, and harder to subdue than tame in the wind? Krishna thus taught the warrior an ancient art. In the heart of action, he said, one must remain free from all attachment and see with the same eye the mound of earth and the heap of gold, a cow and a sage, the dog and the man who eats the dog. And then Krishna crowned his statement with a great secret there is another intelligence beyond the mind. But if passion drags us away and darkness dulls our senses, how can this higher intelligence be found? To reply to this question, Krishna taught Arjuna the ancient yoga of wisdom and the mysterious path of action. He revealed Arjuna's true battlefield, himself, where you need neither warriors nor weapons for each man must fight alone. He spoke for a very long time between the two waiting armies preparing to destroy themselves. Krishna instructs Arjuna in terms of what right action and right thought are. Dharma or right action is the main motive of the whole Mahabharata. Vyasa as a character points out that the whole poem was written so as to engrave dharma in the hearts of men. Right action or dharma involves acting for the soul irrespective of what this world demands. Thus, on the Kurukshetra, the battlefield of the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna sees his illusions vanish one by one. So much so that he finally begged Krishna to show him his universal form, his Vishvarupa. In other words, he wanted to see his soul face to face in this climaxing moment of transfiguration, Arjuna overwhelmed with deep astonishment and all bowed down his head to the shining one. And then said with joined palms, I see you. And in one point I see the entire world through your body. I see the stars, I see life and death. I see silence. Tell me who you are. I am shaken to the depth. And to that the universal form of Krishna uh, of Vishnu replied, I am all that you think and say. Everything hangs from me like pearls from a thread. I am the earthly scent and the fire's heat. I am appearance and disappearance. I am the trickster's hoax and the radiance of all that shines. I am time grown old. All beings fall into the night and all are brought back into daylight. I have already defeated all these warriors. He who thinks he can kill and he who thinks that can be killed are both mistaken. No weapon can pierce the life that informs you. No fire can burn it. No water can drench it. No wind can make it dry. Have no fear and rise up. I myself am never without action, Krishna said. The radiance of all that shines, a beautiful description of the soul, isn't it? And it is with this detachment that Arjuna can sound the horn even with the horrors of the inevitable war. I guess you might like to know how the whole story ends. Well, in the end, the Pandava will conquer, but it will be a victory that will deeply trouble them. As soon as the Bhagavad Gita is over, the battle is launched. The Mahabharata takes the issue of violence to such an extreme that the limits between right or wrong good or evil become completely blurred. There's so much bloodshed that one is tempted into the conclusion that the story has a core of historical truth being perhaps an account of a great battle in Atlantis. In the end of all things, there is no enemy, no ally. The end of every war, isn't it? Who can be said to really win a war? Ultimately, the Pandava embarked upon a great journey towards the heights of the Himalayas. One by one, they fall into the abyss and perish, including Arjuna, Yudhishthira. The son of Dharma is left alone with the dog that has followed him faithfully all the way. At the gates of heaven, he is told to give up on the dog lest the entrance into the higher realms be denied. He completely refused to leave the defenseless creature alone. This was a test. The dog is his father, who else than the god Dharma. And another test awaits in heaven where the king finds his enemies. His brothers are in hell where Yudhishthira chooses to remain as well with whom he considers to be his family. Eventually, he realizes that that was the final test, the test of illusion, maya. He understood that there is no family, there are no enemies, only one life. In those realms, words and thought end, and that was his last illusion. And thus ends the greatest epic poem of all time. What is the message of the Bhagavad Gita? It is the message of Dharma. It teaches that behind form, there's a thinker who uses the form. If there is a core message in Krishna's word, it could perhaps be step out of illusion, be who you essentially are, the soul. There are quite a few lessons that we as triangle workers could learn from the Bhagavad Gita, and perhaps that would be an interesting point to talk about. Next, the Bhagavad Gita is truly a treatise on the soul. It contains a complete picture of a soul and its unfoldment. It is one of the books every disciple should have at hand. Thus we are told. This is what I wanted to share with you today. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Eduardo. It was a really. I lo- it was such a good storytelling, with all these beautiful images. It was very engaging, bringing us in to this great teaching. Um, you implied that the whole of the Bhagavad Gita is inherently about dharma, and I wondered if you could again just clarify the meaning of that word.
2: Well, um, I am sorry to say that dharma is in Sanskrit is totally untranslatable. Ah. <laughs> it, it has a hundred meanings. Wow. It reminds me of the word logos in Greek, but none of them are really synonymous. It is... Virtue, oh. duty, the right path, the right action, right thought. And mainly I think that which is correct at a given point of time, and that is very mm. important. Mm. Right action or Dharma involves acting for the soul irrespective of what the world demands. And, you know, from a Western point of view, it is so difficult to understand that fate, destiny, and free will can coexist. But the Mahabharata, and mainly the Bhagavad Gita, cuts this away and warns that I would say that freedom exists in uh, quite a different way than we think. Yeah. For each character, the great choice is to become himself or not to become himself. So and and I hope you understand what a marvelous piece of work the Mahabharata is. That's one work work could contains both so much wisdom and entertainment after so many millennia is sort of mind boggling. And and besides, you know, a very precise meter and measure is inherent in the Sanskrit language. This rhythm is said to follow the rhythm of the heart. And perhaps it is for this reason that countless generations upon generations are said to have passed down the poem for many ages before it was written down. Mm
0: Interesting. So, so it has such a multiplicity of meanings that in a way you're, you're suggesting that it covers many different stages in the path, the spiritual path of development. For, for one person it could mean one thing, and for another at a different stage in the path it could mean another, perhaps.
2: Right. So it, it, it can be interpreted in so many layers, Mm. Uh, on so many levels, so to say.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, um, Krishna, Arjuna's charioteer, is one of the main characters of the story. Uh, What kind of divine manifestation is he? Is he an avatar, perhaps, or does the Gita say anything about his nature?
2: Oh, well, that's very interesting. The ancient wisdom tells us that divine manifestations of a special kind take place from time to time as need arises for their appearance and manifestations which are called for by special needs. The word avatar, avatara in Sanskrit literally means the descending one. The coming one could be, why not? And it has the same root as the the word star So I leave all possible inferences to you. We may ask what draws forth an advanced being to birth into this world as a manifested form of the love and wisdom of God. It's always the second aspect of love and wisdom, right? And in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna himself answers this, this question. Krishna says, when Dharma, that is righteousness, law decays, and when a dharma that is unrighteousness, lawlessness is exalted, I come forth yeah. for the establishing firmly of dharma. I am born from age to day to age. So there's an invocative need that calls upon a manifestation, and a teacher comes forth. Christ, whose loving energy underlies every triangle will eventually come forth when the hour strikes. But it also shows, the Mahabharata also shows that such a teacher may be hampered in the giving by the want of receptivity in those to whom the message is addressed. Mm. When Arjuna says, oh Lord, teach me, I would say that the teaching comes down in a stream of divine energy and and floods the heart. you know, it's interesting to know that in another book of the Mahabharata, at another stage of the story, called the Anuvita, Arjuna himself is shown as unreceptive to the teaching. Interesting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that in the translation of that passage, which is also contained in the reappearance of the Christ, Dharma was used, and in the other translation that the Tibetan chose, it's law. So, dharma as law.
3: Yeah,
2: it, it, it's one of the many meanings, uh, law, the right path, uh, yeah. and therefore the right action and right thought. Yeah. yeah. But always, you know, I would say that it has to do with a very different point in time, as you yeah. know, what is right at certain time might not be right or may not have been brought right yeah. in, at other times.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's also interesting that Krishna came forth at this crisis point in humanity. We tend to think that, you know, the Christ would come forth when full peace is established, when we have right human relationships. But I think this, this uh, epic poem tells us that In the midst of a battle, he can also come, you know, it's the intention if Krishna had, he had the intention, I mean, Arjuna had the intention to have peace and to make for conditions wherein this bloodshed would not come, but it wasn't possible, he had to enter into the battle and so humanity has to enter into the battle before the teacher can make the decision to come.
2: Right. And I think the answer to that is in the, in the fact that I just omitted that in, in the Eastern tradition, there are several kinds of avatars with different functions, yeah. uh, different kind of kinds of being. But I would say that for an avatar to come, maybe the seeds must have been planted of, of right relations and, and of... Uh, of a different view of life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, You mentioned that there are certain lessons that we as triangle workers could learn from the Gita. Um, Could you tell us a bit more about what you think those
2: might be? Well, yes, indeed, I think there are. First of all, I would say the lesson of detachment. I know it sounds so easily said and um, Um, Not so easily done, but uh, in a way the Bhagavad Gita teaches us to stay fixed uh, on the goal, but without looking for results, without uh, that fruit of action, which in Sanskrit is called Pala, but at the same time trusting that we are making our own contribution to dispel the surrounding glamour. The, the image of the disciple Arjuna listening to Krishna, symbol of the soul in the midst of conflicting forces, I think should be clear enough to us all who intend now to anchor energies of love and goodwill in a time of profound human crisis. Mm. And we might as well imagine that the triangular etheric network can be instrumental in letting that Remember that phrase, radiance of all that shines. Uh, that is the universal form of Vishnu, which is a symbol of a spiritual world of causes. Be available to all mankind, mankind and be, be anchored here on earth. So by strengthening that network of light, we are helping those soul energies to flow in and transform human consciousness. I think... Uh, the message of the Bhagavad Gita is mainly about consciousness, who who one essentially is. Uh, that's uh, and, and step aside that realms of illusion. Be the soul and act as the soul. That's uh, what under, underlies what we're, we're talking about. Uh, dharma, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's that's way in a way dharma could also be defined as the spiritual path yeah yeah uh, yeah of course well, there could there's be many a... other yeah. many other things uh, uh any reader of a bhagavad-gita come up with uh, and i i certainly encourage everyone to to read mainly you know mainly the first three chapters in those we're told so and it's not i'm not saying that it's the tibetan who tells us so that in those first three chapters is contains the story of the human soul and the problem mainly the problem that the disciple faces
0: mm. well we could certainly have you back again to discuss more about this rich So I hope that you will agree to do that. And so we have a raised hand from Joshua. Joshua, are you there?
3: Hi, Kathy and Eduardo. Uh, On the YouTube live stream, a lot of people shared some interesting emojis. But uh, Svetlana Tutina said in Russian and from Google Translate, she said, uh, uh, Mahabharata, in the unity and struggle of opposites, the evolution and development of mankind is realized. Let love flow into people's hearts in the sign of Aries. It is necessary to develop a mental understanding of the situation based on the position of unity of all mankind and love for all people.
2: Thank you, Joshua.
3: And Ting Ting, uh, Shiny appreciated your comments uh, about the Dharma. I think uh, the Sanskrit comments you had on the meaning of Dharma. Mm.
0: Thanks, Joshua. Um, so would you like to read, if, we have a, few, a couple minutes left, if you would like to read any of the comments, whoops, are you okay. still
2: there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, oh, oh, how many wonderful discoveries have prepared for us by an enlightened, enlightened spirit and the son of difficult mistakes and paradoxes is a friend. Then Pablo says, the opposite of war is not peace. It is rather serenity in action. Very well defined. <laughs> yes, really. Uh, it's all boils down to the inner attitude, isn't it? Uh, so Clint says, so in the book, Krishna is a divine messenger. When read by an individual, couldn't Krishna be looked at as one's own soul teaching the personality? Well, I try to imply that, uh, Clint, really. Uh, he Krishna is the symbol of the soul. In the same way, and in, in a very mysterious way, the, the, the very avatar, which Uh, embodies that uh, love and wisdom aspect is in a way also related to the soul in man and to the function of the soul of bridging that's you know the soul the son of the mind as the the incarnation of the love of god in the same way as the, the 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 mind unit or the concrete mind is the incarnation of the intelligence of God, right? uh, Two versions I have read over the years are Juan Mascaro's interpretation and more recently Barbara Sawyer. Yeah, there are many versions and the very fact that there are many translations, many versions and even not only versions, but please remind and be reminded that in, in these kind of kinds of texts it's not the, 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 the original text which counts only but on, also the, the many comments that throughout the ages many great minds have made so this is this also happens in the eastern tradition mm-hmm. and uh, thank you for explanation Uh, of the ancient scripture in a very simple words for us to understand. Thank you, Kathy. And do you see another one, Kathy? I think
0: Um, VN is saying that she read somewhere that DK was going to write a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita with Alice Bailey, but sadly, um, AAB passed over before that was possible. Does anyone know the source of this information? I've heard that as well. Um, and it seems like that is that is the case. And yeah, it's too bad that we
2: didn't get to have that happen. Uh, it's too bad, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's really too bad. But, you know, in these kinds of uh, works of deep phil- philosophical thought, I think that it is always very, uh, It is. I would say that having more than two or three versions or translation is almost a need because uh, I really doubt that any singular and individual translation translator could embody all the the word of meaning contained in those not only in, in, in the work itself, but also in the Sanskrit language, you know, those wow. ancient languages were very, uh, each word was supposed to be a container of such significance with so many layers. And, uh, and these works are, are meant to be useful at several stages of the path. So maybe an aspirant will find many things particularly useful to his stage. And then maybe an initiate reads the book and finds a wealth of information that is uh, uh, very interesting to him. So that happens with many uh, spiritual works. They are full of of power, of of mental contents and full of meaning.
3: Yes.
0: Yeah, he he highlights that point that you made about the complexity and richness of Sanskrit when he's talking about one of the the translations he gave in the Yoga Sutras and he quoted in the commentary um, one of the translations from Charles Johnston and said that his translation was not complete without the translation of Charles Johnston because of that complexity. It's, it's such, it, it must be so wonderful to be able to understand Sanskrit and to see see the, the depth of meaning that each word holds. It's, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Well, uh, let, uh, let bio, that. bio asks, uh, is there a way we can relate mm. to the war currently going on, or to any World War for that matter, related to the Gita?
2: Hmm. Well, the background of the Gita is war. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think that um, the Gita is implying that this external war uh, is nothing compared with the war that takes place inside. Yes. Yeah. So in a war where People are killed, slaughtered. There's another war inside. There's another war and a worse kind of war that wages uh, within the human being where no weapons are needed and one must really fight alone. And that's that's a, at the same time, a terrifying thought and a wonderful thought. Because in the end, as the Bhagavad Gita says, uh, nothing can pierce the life that informs you. Yeah. Life cannot be killed because it is one life. This is the end of the whole Mahabharata. There's no, there are not individuals. There's, there's a realm where thought ends. Yeah. There's just one consciousness, one life. That's a, it's an amazing thought, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and as well as there is a battle going on within the life and consciousness of each disciple, there's also, from a more macrocosmic perspective, a great battle between good and evil,
2: yeah. you know, going on, and that's the real battle. <laughs> yeah, right, and that takes place both outside and inside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Eduardo we could have you read comments probably for the rest of the day but we are confined by time and space so we'll just
2: send a great it's got late yeah i didn't
0: see no it's fine (laughs) um but thank you so much it was such a rich presentation and i know i speak for everyone thanking you
2: thank you Kathy. it's always nice to be here thank you
0: so let's everyone just take a moment to close our work today by visualizing the planet as a sphere of lighted triangles, radiating goodwill and light. Oh.
1: Thank you everyone.